There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Scoops. All right, we're back a week later. We missed a week, but it's okay. We're back with uh, the Forever Mighty Podcast. We've got uh, a fair amount of good games to cover here. We're pretty much just going to talk about the last week in terms of the games. But uh, we got a lot of topics to discuss. How are you guys doing? Steven, you're back from uh, from vacay. Yeah, yeah I, the thing I, I want to talk about right now, I think, is every now and then it comes to my attention that Americans discover that Tim Horton was a hockey player and not just a dude. And what? it's always so funny. Tim Horton was a hockey player. What? Yeah, he played oh, for the I, lo- I love that this happened on the show, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I know. I'm just kidding. surprised <laughs> by like, it. So I was just playing into it. Did you just discover yeah. that now, Stephen? Or... No, no, I knew. I no. was just... No, no, no. I've known that for, I don't know, a couple of years or whatever. But, like... Tim, didn't he play in like the 60s or something? Yeah, so like, it's always so funny to watch Canadians be like, well, who did you think he was? A, a dude named Tim, like who just like coffee and small donuts. Like, what do you want from me? Yeah, a really good but it's just, Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just assume that he played, like there's animosity between Tim Horton and whoever Mr. Duncan is because they played and, you know, Mr. Duncan knocked Tim Horton out of the playoffs in the game. Is this what you did on your entire vacation? Yeah. Yeah. Discover the origin story for Tim Horton. You know, honestly, like, I'm probably a bad Canadian for this, but I've never looked into the story of, like, how and why he started that business. Like, wow. I I thought you guys had to learn that in, like, elementary school. It's like Canadian history. It's required reading. It's actually about the founding of Tim Horton's. I should. They've got this uh, Justin Bieber promotion out now. Tim Biebs. great. Yeah, oh, man. they're like no. special Timbits. You know what Timbits are from Tim Hortons? <laughs> they're like the donut hole soup. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they're called oh, Timbeebs. It's really Tim bad. Timbeebs donut holes, that's so good. They're, they're not bad, but like this, the promotion is it's everywhere right now. Everybody's obsessing over it. The merchandise, you can buy them for like regular prices. Like a, you can buy like a toque or something for like 20 bucks from uh, from the actual restaurant. 
but then people are reselling them on like Craigslist and Kijiji for triple the price because every store only has like a hundred pieces of it. That's fantastic. Yeah, they're like Yeezy shoes. It's like brown and yellow Tim Hortons toque that says Tim Biebs on it, and people are going nuts over it. Yeah. That's great. I love it so much. <laughs> uh, what about you, Jay? How you been, bud? Uh. Doing all right. I don't know. I got a boring life. I, I wasn't in Cabo like you. Um, <laughs> just uh, yeah, just doing the shuffle right before uh, holidays, all that fun stuff. So <clears throat> less time, a lot of money being spent, yeah, all that fun feel stuff. That. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> all right. Well, oh, the good thing, the one good thing we had, uh, the Ducks were actually playing pretty well. The last uh, three games we had were some of the most exciting games we've had all season. Uh, in not a great way for the Ducks because they had a couple 4-1 leads that they almost blew. Uh, against the Kings, they ended up blowing a 4-1 lead and winning in the shootout, and then they had a 4-1 and a 5-3 lead against Vegas and ended up winning that one 6-5 in regulation. And then they flipped the script against the Flames. The Flames had a 3-1 lead. The Ducks came back and ended up losing that one in the shootout. But the, the real thing is, like, these games have been a lot of fun. The Ducks are playing some fun hockey. They've got, you know, a, a line right now in Zegers, Raquel, and Milano, that is just playing out of their minds. And despite losing Getzlaff and, and Henrique, which last year would have been a, you know detrimental to this team and they would have fallen apart. And Would it have? Oh, yeah. Any injuries last year made the Ducks even worse than they already were. And this year, there is a worry that, yeah. you know, no Getzlaff the way he's been playing. And the fact that Getzlaff, Henrique, and Terry have been so good. And now Henrique out after, we don't know how long, but leaving uh, the game against the Flames on Friday. That with that line falling apart, it would be a nightmare, and the Ducks wouldn't be able to continue playing well. But the fact that Zegers, Milano, and Raquel have been, you know, playing out of their minds, it's it really hasn't been a big loss for the Ducks. And other guys have stepped up. Lindstrom's played well. Silverberg's played well. So it's been, uh, it's been fun. It's not something you can usually say is that the Ducks have actually been playing fun hockey and winning games. Yeah, absolutely, and. Um... You know, to that point, you know, with uh, Getzloff gone and Henrique, that's a lot of center depth. You know, basically, you're kind of your one, two. And if you want to kind of throw, I guess Zegers is more of your two at this point. But um, to, to lose any significant portion of your top uh, two of your top three centers and still be able to put up as many goals as they have has been really impressive. And uh, to your point, really, really fun to watch, like even when they're going down or, you know, their their play hasn't really picked up. There's not that like uh, okay this is just this is off the rails we got no chance of coming back like even now it's it's you know they get down on by uh, Calgary they weren't playing particularly well in the second they able to get a late goal and then you know a really nice goal in the third but you always kind of had that that hope that was missing for so many seasons that we can get we can still get back we just got to outplay them a little bit and you know wait for our chance and make it happen so it's been nice to watch Steven, you do you you get end up catching these games or yeah. were you away for most of these games or did you end up coming back for for these i watched the knights game and the flames game i got home from the airport and like looked and i was like oh there's a game like in like an hour so i'll watch that <laughs> If you had to pick one to miss, like the the Kings game was fun, but it was nerve wracking because of the way they blew that lead. Like the the goals were not great; they were point shots that deflected in past. I think it was Gibson in that game, right? Stolarz was against the the Knights, so yeah, that was a yeah. that was a tough one. But I mean, anytime you beat the Kings is fun, and the fact that uh, they ended up winning it in the shootout was good. But yeah, the the Gold Knights game and even the Flames game. The Flames game felt. Uh, I think Pat mentioned this in the uh, 
in our group chat the other day, but like it had a playoff feel to it. It was a really exciting, fun contest between two of the top teams in the Pacific Division right now. A little bit of edginess to it. Zegris and Kachuk were going at it. So I think that one, despite the loss, was probably the most exciting game all around. And the first two games too, like Vegas and LA, nothing happened in the first period in both those games. No goals. The games finished 6-5 and 5-4, and all the goals were scored in the second and third period of that game. So we had, we had to sit through some pretty boring first periods <laughs> in both of them. Yeah, I mean, the thing with, you know, the Kings game for me is always a bummer to miss just because that's, you know, historically been one of, if not my favorite sporting event every year is any Ducks-Kings game. I just, it's just the, the most fun for me. And, um, you know, this year, some of that's kind of gone a little bit because there's not really, you know, I think going into this year, you would have been excited to maybe see Byfield or Turcotte or Filardi or any of those kind of guys uh, have a chance to play against Segris and Terry and all the young guys on the Ducks. And, you know, that's kind of not been the case. Like, you know, for the Kings, it's kind of been uh, Deneau and Kopi and Brown and, you know, Arvidsson a little bit, but he's not young. So, um, you know, it's not the worst getting my guys to miss. But overall, like, I think the thing about that game for me was, was like, I just heard about the Getzloff injury. Like, I didn't see the injury until... I think it was pregame for the Flames games. I saw a replay of it, and I was like, oh, that's not good. Yeah. Um, he, had taken, and, you know, he, had, yeah, he had taken a hit prior to that, and he was a little little pissed about it and kind of was heading down all the way over, you know, just trying to find somebody to kind of exact a little bit of, of uh, <laughs> revenge on it. And he kind of missed it, kind of just tweaked it weird. So, yeah, I thought it was more of like his wrist because it kind of went weird into the boards with his wrist, but mm. apparently it was uh, his, they say lower body. So that could yeah, be I anything. Mean, <laughs> just from the clip, it looks like he kind of caught an edge and his ankle buckled yeah. a little bit, which pulled it or something. You know, yeah, that's I saw not your fun. Tweet that's about not. But... Too. Is that your uh, your uh, meme that you made, Steven? It wasn't mine. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I blame Dave for that meme. I blame Dave for everything. Um, but, yeah, no, it's just one of those things. You know, it's it's a bummer that he gets hurt right now. But it's, it's interesting, right? And I think on this side of it, it's kind of nice to see that they played you know, two competitive games against two teams in the division that are expected to be, um, you know, competing. Like, the Knights, everybody expects by the end of the year to be right. You know, Jack Eichel's already back skating and all that stuff. And then the Flames, like, they're they're kind of doing what you knew was a... They're, I mean, they're playing Daryl Sutter hockey. Like, you just knew if they bought into his system, this is what they were going to be. And... You know, they've got enough talent at the top of the roster. And, you know, Monaghan's kind of playing all right, but they've got Kachuk and Gaudreau and, you know, guys kind of generating. And uh, and then Markstrom's playing really well. So, like, you know, for the Ducks to be in those games, I think is huge for them, even if it's, you know, even if it's a split. At the end of the day, they're, they're, those, are, those are big kind of games to have without Getzloff and then without Rico. Yeah, and division games too. You know, they always say there's four point games. So I mean, we got yeah. five out of six possible points out of that. So that's that's how you you stay in the top of your division is, is you know hopefully getting more of those yeah, points. Yeah, and so. even like the one thing I mentioned with the Flames game and why it was such like probably the toughest challenge of the week 
is they're the best defensive team in the league in terms of goals against average. And the Ducks held their own. And, you know, you thought, like, when they went down 3-1, the way Calgary's played this year is you don't come back from that usually. Like, the, that's it. The game gets closed out, and, and Calgary wins that game, even with um, it was Vladder in net. But he's been good as a backup this year. But the Ducks, they actually came back out, and they fought hard, and they got two goals. One of them was on the power play for Letary. Zegris really drove the offense for the rest of that game. That line was Zegris, Milano, and and Raquel got the Ducks back in that game. And that's what you like to see, right? Like We've talked about consistency, and can the Ducks keep this up, and are they for real all year? But when you have games like this now, 25 games into the season, where they're able to come back and show their <laughs> offensive flair against some of the best defensive teams in the league, you know, Carolina, that game against Carolina was another example of that, or just sticking in a, a game uh, against Carolina when they were the best defensive team in the league. Like two of the top teams where they normally shut you down for, for those games, the Ducks really came out and played well, which is what you want to see. Like now I think you can you can start kind of comfortably saying, yeah, this team might be for real, right? We talked about 10, 15 games in. Okay, now we got to wait another 10, 15 games and, and really – you know, get a better look at this team, but they're still playing well. They're above 500. They're third in the Pacific Division. Power play still ranked third. It hasn't cooled down. The offense is still going well. You know, defensively, it's been not as great as last year, but that's because they've kind of opened themselves up a little bit more offensively, which has obviously worked in their favor, right? Like they are, they are where they are because of the way they've played. And somebody mentioned uh, on Twitter during the week that it's like if you took some of the replaceable guys, the replacement level players on this team and you brought in a couple impact players. Like, this is a for-real team. Like they're a really, really good team. If you replace some of the Sam Steeles and some of the guys that aren't really going right now and, and you put in some you know, some talented either youngsters in Perot or, or Pastuov or McTavish eventually, or you, you bring in some other guys like DeBrusque or somebody like that who we talk about later and, and they gel quickly, this team becomes scary pretty quickly. And, you know, that's something I don't think we expected to say 25 games into the season. No, yeah. definitely not not this season, that's for sure. And then, yeah, it, and Troy Terry on top of that, you know, I was, you know, cautiously optimistic. Well, Getzoff's really setting him up, and Getzoff's playing kind of, a, you know, uh, a, a lot better than I would have pictured him doing. And then with Getzoff going down, there was another thing. I was like, oh, no, all right, this thing's really going to drop off. But that dude's still just making moves, and even if he doesn't necessarily score on him, he's just looks like a completely different player. So, I, you know, once again, I think he's for real. Uh, kind of moving forward. So he's made that big step we were all kind of waiting, hoping for. So add in the the young kids around that. You know, this team's A, fun to watch, and B, doesn't doesn't look like it's anything's a fluke. Like, this, this is their style of play now, and there might be, you know, little bits of sliding, you know, that happens. You lose, you go on a losing streak for a little bit, but I just feel like their their style will eventually get them Yeah, and goals, they did that too, right? Wins. They went on a three-game losing streak, but then they bounced back with a, a few key wins, and even the loss against Calgary, again, you get a point out of that in a game that normally you would expect them to lose down 3-1 against a team like that. So there's ups and downs, but it's there are ups this year where there weren't many ups last year where it was pretty much downs for most of the season. So... It's a team that will likely finish around 500 or just around just above 500. They're beating the teams they should. They're staying in games against some of the top teams in the league. And the games they do lose badly, the two they've lost badly, have been two, two of the best teams in the league this year in Toronto and Colorado. And the only other big loss was against Winnipeg, but we've talked about this before. I think that 5-1 loss against Winnipeg, the Ducks played really well in that game, and they actually probably deserved to get two points out of it. It was just one of those games where... 
the puck isn't bouncing for you. They're playing against a, a really good netminder. And the opportunities that Winnipeg got in that game, they took advantage of them. But you, you can't argue when you look at the record that they have. You know, everything is going well offensively, power plays clicking, and you, you've only had two big losses this far into the season to two teams that you could understand why they were big losses. Like, they are probably the two best teams in the league. If you saw Colorado and Toronto in the Stanley Cup final, I don't think we'd be surprised. So it's it's progress that... Well, yeah. Toronto, yeah, you'd be yeah. surprised they got up past the first round, but <laughs> the, the way they've played and the, the way their team yeah. is, right? Like, you can, you can walk mm-hmm. away from those games... Yeah. Not as disappointing because you can understand, and that, and then you you can look at it and say, okay, the Ducks eventually will get to that point. They're just you know going through a transition right now, and things have started to click a lot sooner than we thought they would. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's the stat that we've kind of seen a couple times this week that like Anaheim, I think, has the second most goals from their defense of anyone in the league. And the first team is Colorado because they have fucking Kale McCarr and Sam Gerrard. And that's just kind of what those guys do. Um, you know, but I, I think the thing that's most interesting, right. Cause like going into the Calgary game, like I gotta be honest, like I was prepared for that to not be great. Cause I was just like, I've never been so sure I was going to watch a coach get out coached just because Daryl Sutter has been doing this for 15, 20 years. You know what I mean? Like he just gets results playing this incredibly awful version of hockey and allowing, you know, his forwards and his defense to just kind of try to smother the other team. Goalie makes big saves. And then, you know, he just kind of has enough talent. I I will say that's always kind of been the question, right? Is whether or not the top end talent was going to be there to get him the goals that he needed. Like, obviously with Calgary, they've got enough of it. You know, Mangiapane's going off and Kachuk and Gaudreau, like we talked about, and Lindholm, like Jay mentioned, like they've got guys who can contribute there. But, you know, Anaheim, like, is just playing a very different style of game than I think I would have expected coming into this year. They're just playing really up-tempo. Like, you know, I think I saw earlier this week that, like, Jay Fresh was doing uh, 5v5 goals for and goals against, and the Ducks are dead even, 2-4-3, 2-4-3. Like, just under two and a half goals expected and uh, for and against. And it's just, like... They're just kind of playing well enough that they can get away with running and gunning. And, like, the top four defense for the team is playing really well. Like, both of them, last time I checked, had over 50% in expected goals and expected and in Corsi. And, like, you know, and at that point, it's just about what's going on when those guys aren't on the ice. But they're going to be on the ice for most of the time. And if, you know, you stagger your lines, right, you put out – some of your your more effective attacking lines and you can kind of mitigate some of the risk on the back. But like even then, like Benoit's look good. Mahur has been fine. Um and Shattenkirk's been producing. So like it's just one of those things. Like it it feels like it's for real, but it also feels like, you know, the results could go away and the style of play could not change. And I think that's what I'm waiting to see is if you know, anybody hits a cold streak, just a real solid cold streak and what happens. You know, like I'm looking at it right now. There is two, <laughs> Troy Terry has 15 goals. Ricard Raquel has eight. And after that, it's nobody has more than six. And so, like, I, I don't know 100% what that means. But, like, if Troy Terry kind of dries up a little bit, then it's going to be really interesting to see what this team can actually do and how much that will be on the power play. 
Yeah. I think they also kind of changed their style a little bit. I saw this stat uh, a few <laughs> days ago, so I don't know if they're still in that. But they were, they were ranked second um, behind only Florida for uh, rushes that involve defensemen. So, you know, getting those defensemen involved in the rush, and I think even though maybe we don't have a whole lot of that that next-level scoring depth after Raquel and Terry, uh, I think we have a lot of defensive help. So somewhere in there, you know, forwards may not be putting it in, but the defense is helping out with that. So I think you kind of are moving those goals around, and you just have right now a couple of guys that are kind of at that extra high level of scoring goals. And, uh, you know, as long as they're coming from somewhere, <laughs> I don't care if, you know, we got, you know, four guys that are just killing it or if we got a whole yeah, team you're scoring by committee right now like you, jay you nailed it with the, the defenseman like this week five of our defensemen had goals right it was the top five ben wine maher were the only ones who didn't have any goals this week and then the rest of the team the only guys who had more than one were raquel had two terry had two and lindstrom had two over the three games this week and everybody else had one that was that ended up registering a goal so they are getting goals from everybody so it's not like you know, and I agree with you, Stephen. It is a worry that eventually, if Terry does, you know, stop scoring at the rate he is, it does drop off pretty quickly, um, and it, a lot of pressure gets put on Ricard Raquel. But even then, like I think, with the way everybody's kind of been chipping in, Lindstrom gets a few goals here, Milano does, Zegers will eventually start putting the puck in the back of the net. You know, the way he's shooting the puck, I think he's still now with Henrik out, leads the Ducks in shots on goal eventually they're going to start going in for him as well. And then you think when Henrik and, and Getzlaff come back, uh, Henrik will pot a few goals for the Ducks too. So the, they you know, they, they are maybe like one sniper away from being a really, really good team and having another kind of guy to rely on because right now it is Terry and Raquel. If you add another guy to the mix, they become a, a lot more of a, a dangerous team. <laughs> fill the th- they fill keep the, the dream thrill. alive maybe eventually but <laughs> but yeah like they, they are a team right now who, who i think they, they score by committee and they they work really well as a team and you know you you eventually add some some more dynamic players to that and and that uh that offense gets spread around the lineup a little bit more but the, i think there's no surprise this week that the top performers were zegris milano and raquel Zegers now has 14 points in his last 10 games. Milano has 10 in his last 10, and Raquel has four goals and six points in his last seven. That line has been unbelievable. I think there's been a game where they have lost the shot attempt battle and have been below 50% in expected goals for. Like through the 10 games that they've been together, they have a 63.33 Corsi 4 percentage, a 69.67 expected goals 4 percentage, and a 63.64 high danger chances 4 nice. percentage. So they just, they're just they just dominating, and it's not even close. It's no matter who they're playing against. Like They've gone against some, some pretty good shutdown lines on some nights, and now you know this far into them and their success, teams are targeting them. You're getting like their top shutdown lines going against them, and it just doesn't matter. Like They just tear you apart in the offensive zone. And they don't give up a lot of goals. It's not, you know, run and gun. It's not high danger. It's not high events. Like, they are just controlling the play, and you can't stop them. It's been unbelievable. It's been the most fun line we've seen in a really long time, and that includes Getzlaff, Terry, and Henrique this year because they were just scoring goals, and they were playing really well. But, like, these guys are fun to watch. They're really, really fun to watch out there. Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, the thing for me with Milano is, is like, I didn't know a ton about him when, you know, Anaheim traded for him in the, the shore swap. But I just, you know, you kind of look and you're like, all right, he's smallish. He's got some goal scoring upside. That's kind of what you've seen a little bit in some of his numbers. And then, you know, you, you can see that he's small and quick and skilled. And so it's just kind of about him finding his footing at you know the NHL level and finding that kind of consistency. And, 
going into the season, he starts to play well, and you hear from John Tortorello, like, he's one of the most talented players I've ever been around. The problem has been about finding his consistency. And, you know, he's a great kid, and you're happy to see it, and yada, yada, yada. And now, you know, you look, and it's like, he's got 6 and 11. Like, he's just putting up really solid numbers. Like, he's 12th. Like, he's got less shots than Josh Manson. And, you know, it's just like, you know, in five five fewer games, so I imagine, you know, if you normalize it and stuff, he's probably a little higher up. But still, like, he's not – his impact isn't solely about finishing. Like, we're watching him make really smart plays. We're watching him, you know, go to the front of the net. Like, I've seen more than a couple of times he's getting involved physically. Like, I mean, he's not a big kid, but, like, there's been a couple of times where something has happened. Like, I think the Kachuk thing, like – Milano just jumped in there like he just wasn't afraid you know he he wasn't afraid to just jump into it when everything was kind of going down oh, nice cross checking on Kachuk too. <laughs> we love it we love it so much <laughs> and, you know but it's just I think that's all like you're saying that's just a sign of confidence in chemistry and like you know putting a, a player like Raquel on that line who's got a history of being able to finish and stuff like that it just kind of really balances it out you know and it, it's just nice to kind of see that line buzzing and you know it sounds weird because like it's kind of something i've been thinking about with with Getzloff going down you kind of almost need more from troy terry as far as generating for his line mates and you know we'll see if he's going to be able to kind of do that um you know it's impossible to kind of replicate without a player like ryan Getzloff, but he's going to be asked to try to be a little bit more than he's been and that's that's a high bar, you know. He's been incredible, but he seems like he's got it. And I just think, you know, when you look throughout the lineup, like Isaac Lundstrom's coming along really nicely as far as just being a good two-way, 200-foot center. Like, there's just a lot to be encouraged about. So even if, you know, the goal scoring dries up and this team kind of falls back into where some of the preseason predictions had them, like, I don't think there's really any way to come out of the season with anything but a, a significant amount of optimism. Yeah, move, yeah, like moving forward, if you have things kind of don't quite pan out, we don't get those, you know, one goal wins, they become one goal losses or something like right. that. It's just uh, the talent that we've got and the style that we're playing now just bodes well for next season and the seasons after that. So it's definitely going to be fun to look uh, at, see how this year ends and then how the next few years start going. Because I think we're already kind of, it was a real quick rebuild. Yeah. <laughs> so they kind of like, hey, we, you know, in the, this offseason, yeah, we're, we're, we're finally rebuilding. Then, boom, all of a sudden, we're actually contending for top spots in the division a quarter of the way through the season. And uh, now it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, that was that was tough. <laughs> so, so on that line, I actually want to ask you guys a question that I'm kind of curious about. And we've seen, you know, we've seen a couple of teams play – play kind of above where people expected them to because of the performance of young guys. I think the one that comes the most to mind for me is uh, two years ago, Vancouver really popped behind that kind of stud Elias Pettersson. Uh, I think that was the year he won the Calder. Like, you know, he just, he, he was just kind of a whole other player. And, you know, we're seeing that some of the decisions they made and like some of it was stuff that they made before that happened. That was just, always going to be a problem but some of it is just stuff that's happening because of it now as far as like players on the roster and contracts that they've given out and things like that you know are you guys concerned at all about this surprising 
start leading to questionable decisions? Or do you think, you know, kind of just because Murray's not there now, that that's going to be one of the benefits is like Solomon's not going to be as invested into trying to make this more than it is. That's that's my hope. My hope is that he kind of, you know, doesn't doesn't mess too much with it. Uh, I think he's definitely going to be a little bit more savvy in the trades or the free agent signings than Murray was. And um, I think you know, my hope is, and you know, I don't really have a track record on him, uh, is that, you know, he will, you know, look at those uh, those fancy stats and then really kind of try and plug in people where where he sees an opportunity to improve the team. So, you know, I, I hope they don't tinker right now too much with it. And I think they're kind of in a good spot contract wise over the next couple of years anyway. So they've got some of that room. But, you know, right now it's a lot of young players. You want to just see them progress and, uh, you know, not cut too much into their development as they're kind of taken off here. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see what their approach is, right? There's a lot of good signs. The Raquel. With, yeah, Raquel, I think, is is the big one because he's playing on the Ducks' hottest line right now, and it's hard to, to not sit there and say, oh, man, like we'd love to see this for three or four more years. But, you know, wh- at what cost does it come at is now you're blocking him down for four or five more years, likely on a new contract probably four and a half, five, five and a half million dollars too. And, you know, you have two examples of, and not that Silverberg and Henrik aren't good players, but two examples of what that can do to your roster and, and what that looks like cap-wise mm-hmm. of, of re-signing guys when you probably shouldn't have just because the team was playing better than expected. Contract year. Yeah, you, you don't want to fall into <laughs> to that. And, you know, Raquel is great, and he's been great this year, and, and I'd love to have this Raquel for the next three seasons, but there's two or three seasons before this of, of prior experience and, and play from Ricard Raquel that hasn't been great. And, you know, you would love to think that Trevor Zegers and Sonny Milano are the remedy to this, and they might very well be, but I don't think it's worth the risk at this point. So, yeah, you know in the past, Bob Murray would have locked Ricard Raquel up to an extension at this point, and, and all would have been said and done. But I, I think, you know, just based off Solomon's comments when he got put on board is that he said they're going to follow the rebuild plan, and that was when the Ducks were still playing well at that point. So, Hopefully they stick to that, but we'll know relatively soon, right? Because once we go into the trade deadline, you know he'll have to make hard decisions on Josh Manson, Ricard Raquel, and Hampus Lindholm, and that will really show you what direction the Ducks are going in. And you know, they'll likely still be a good team at that point in time, uh, but they should be nowhere near being buyers. And the, the the tough decisions will come on players like Raquel and, and Lindholm and Manson. And uh, you know I, I'm still in the belief that at the very least Raquel and, and Manson have to get dealt out, but Lindholm will be a tough one. I think the other thing that I also wonder, like. Because like, so here's here, here, here. so let, let me say this: this is not like logical, thoughtful thinking, right? This is very much an emotional kind of train of thought. But like, I wonder if you look at some of the prospects in the system right now that are really popping. You look at guys like Perot, as well as. Um, you know, you've got Avish and, you know, not to mention some of the other guys that are like, like we've already talked still on this roster. You've got Lundestrom and Steele and um, Terry and, you know, things like that. Like this team playing this well, 
I think there is something to be said, and I think I may have mentioned this to you before, Ed, of like they have earned the right to try to make the playoffs, right? You know, like maybe when you get closer to the deadline, if it's really kind of fallen back down to earth, I think that changes it. But as of right now, I think you can look at this team and say like they have earned the right to really try to make a push. Is the quality of the prospect pool, and this is sacrilegious, I understand this, is the quality of the Ducks prospect pool at the goal-scoring wingers positions good enough that it's almost accepting Raquel as your own rental and letting him walk in free agency? Like, is there anything to be gained by not flipping him for picks and prospects or a player like DeBrusque in order to say, you guys have earned the right to make a run of this. Uh, like, I, I get it. I, I see it. And, and I understand like where you're coming from with that because you, yeah, you want to reward the players for the way they've played and you don't want to go off and just sell, 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 sell at the trade deadline. Say, up, oh, sorry. Like this is the reality of what we, the team is right now. And you know, now you guys are going to have a tougher go at it. I, I think, though, you can still sell and you have enough guys who can immediately come up, like you'd mentioned, Jacob Perot, and, and potentially like for like replacements that, you know, the Ducks aren't going to go into this deadline and sell five guys. It's just it's just not going to happen. Um, you know, I think Raquel is, is a likely one. I think Josh Manson is another one. And then Hampus Lindholm is a really tough one on whether you keep him or, or trade him. I don't think they move both Lindholm and Manson at the deadline. I, I, I think Lindholm is the most likely to get re-signed, but he's also stated himself that he wants to mm-hmm. make, uh, explore free agency and, and see what that is. That doesn't mean he's going to leave the Ducks, and it's simply he wants to just see what else is out there. Sometimes there's just curiosity there, and you want to see you know, what other teams are interested in you and, and what the offers are going to be, and maybe he comes back to the Ducks. But I think at least just on Raquel's side of thing, I think you can replace him with a younger player or with somebody else who jumps up into the lineup that – it's not signaling to the team that you don't believe in them. It's just, hey, like we, this is a decision we have to make at this point. We can get something for him that's going to immediately help us in the future, whether it's a top young prospect or a first-round pick this year, and and explain to the office is just something we have to do. And you've got a kid like Perot who's going to come up. Now you can't. That means you can't move Henrique. And if you had an offer, and Raquel and Sam Steele, and just you know sell the farm and move everybody else out, and and you know go bare bones for the rest of the year, I don't think that's mm-hmm. fair to the guys. I don't think that's a good signal to them. But I think with players like Raquel, they understand that you know, listen, he's a UFA at the end of the year. If he's not, if the organization doesn't think he's going to be around. I think everybody understands that you kind of have to move him at this point. Like the players understand just as much as everybody that this is a business. And Ricard Raquel's situation is a little bit different than, say, moving Adam Henrique, who's under contract, right? I, I think for them, they understand that one mm-hmm. a little bit more than it would be, you know, moving guys out. Uh, even even guys like Sam Steele is not playing well, who is a RFA. You have control over him, so you don't necessarily have to move him. He's a guy you could keep around if you want to, you know, keep a, a little bit of stability in the roster. But, yeah, for, for Raquel, I think that one is... You kind of got to get what you can get for him. I, I don't think it's it's beneficial for the Ducks to try and make a run to lose in the first or second round and get nothing for a guy you probably could have gotten a first-round pick or a top prospect for. Yeah, the other wrinkle in that, too, is that uh, Lindholm and Raquel are uh, BFFs. 
So if you end up trading Raquel and he's on another team or becomes a free agent and now Lindholm's yeah. looking as I don't have my best friend here. I don't know exactly what and I'm doing, but I'm going to get paid a lot of money. And maybe, you know, I, you know, I might have thought about sticking around because Raquel was here, but now he's traded and gone for a guy who's already seemed like one foot out the door. Um, that's, you know, that's another little wrinkle in it. I mean, I don't know what you do with that, that knowledge or, you know, that uh, tidbit, but you know, you, you potentially end up losing someone like Lindholm, uh, anyways, especially if he already moved his uh, his boy out. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I just think, you know, this is one of those parts where, like, the human part of it to me, kind of like what you're saying with Jay, is like, how does moving Raquel affect Lindholm? Like, the way Lindholm has played this year, he looks like a guy that you would be interested in uh extending given one the level of play but two that his timeline doesn't seem like it's quite as disconnected you know like there was always the thought that because of his age he was the closest one you know i think he's like two or three years younger than raquel and manson you know there's always the thought that he would be the one who could kind of be a little bit of the older guy for the next competing window and you know i i don't know like eddie's you know we had a Olin Zellweger have a 6.9 the other night. He's a left-handed guy. And, like, you know, some of that doesn't matter, but some of it does. And so, like, I, I don't know. I just – it's a weird thing to me because I just think there are a lot of people questions around this team. And I'm I'm curious to see kind of how Jeff Solomon and whatever the new kind of – you know, like he said, the philosophy and the plan isn't going to change. But, like, at the same time, time like i don't know that you could watch this and say well something needs to be adjusted right we're either farther along than we thought we were or we need to capitalize right now on some of these guys playing at a level we don't expect them to long term you know and maybe that's that's the henry renaissance and they tell and stuff like that but i just i don't know it's just a weird thing for me like i just think there's so many interesting questions about how this team goes forward and like should this team be looking at low-cost buying options around the deadline, like Phil Kessel or some of those guys? Like, hell, even, you know, like I know Dallas is kind of starting to put it together, but if they fall back to the bottom of the pack, like, do you call about Joe Pavelski? Like, I, I don't know. I, these are all just, you know, random names and stuff, but I just think, like, it would be very hard for me to walk into that locker room the day after trade deadline and be like, ah, you guys will figure it out. You're fine. You didn't really, you know earn right to really make a run at it and i don't know it's just <laughs> I gotta make a lot of friends to walk. <laughs> yeah no i know you're not you gonna make earn it. We're, we're, we're it's hard else. to strip it all down right like yeah i don't think i like i just said this too but i don't think you can strip down and trade uh lintholm and manson together like the blue line is decimated at that point um you know mahura could come in and and it'd be mahura benoit and fowler on the left and then it'd be Drysdale and Shattenkirk on the right, and then you have to bring somebody else up from San Diego to fill that spot, and then the blue line just looks awful right. at that point. I think you can mitigate, you know, you can get rid of uh, Manson, and you can shift things around, and, and you you can make it work at that point, and it's not as great as it was, but if you don't want to re-sign, you know, Manson at the end of the year, I think you can get something for him at the deadline and teams would be interested. Um, you know, if you want to stick with him for the rest of the year, I don't think his value is as high 
Um, and, and I don't think you're going to get as much for him as Raquel, just the way he's played. But again, he's a right shot defensive defenseman. So there's going to be plenty of teams out there who love what he brings, um, you know, with his physicality and his size mm -hmm. and, and, you know, his ability to, again, play on the right side and be a right shot. He's going to have play, uh, teams coming after him. So I think you can, you can lose one of them. And you can make do with that. And, and you know, maybe you go out and, and you bring in somebody who doesn't cost you a lot, like a fourth-round pick or whatever, a veteran, that you can, you know, mitigate the loss there and have another body in the locker room than having to, to you know, pull from San Diego at that point. So maybe they do that. Or in the Manson trade, you get another, you know, a cap hit back to help, and, and that guy could, could slot in the blue line. So there's possibilities there. Um, but yeah, and I think up front again, if Raquel leaves, you can either do the same thing, bring in another forward who has a higher cap it. the team wants to shed some salary. The Ducks have talked about their willingness to do that in the past, so you could do that. Or again, Jacob Perot, who I think is going to get a shot here at the end of the season, just feels like a logical time and, and decision at that point to say, okay, it's what now, end of February? Ricard Raquel is gone at the deadline, wherever he's gone. Okay, Perot, you've got two months up here to come in and play about 20 games or so to show us you know, what you can do, and you're going to jump right into the top six, uh, potentially on a line that's been as dominant with if it's with Zegers and Milano, right? So there are there are ways to kind of get around that and not completely you know, show the team there's no faith in them. But again, you know, there are decisions that have to be made. And you can't just keep all these guys around and say, you know, you guys have earned the chance for the playoff run. We're going to sacrifice getting anything in return here. Um, but Lindholm, I think, I, I think he has to stay, I, or at least one of them does. And I, I think it would be Lindholm if you're going to argue who should, who could stay, and who would have the the longest impact on this team, the in the most sizable impact of the three of them. You know, I'm if Lindholm signs a seven eight year contract, you know, the first five of that are probably still good. You could argue the first six are probably him still playing at a high level. Um, and, and then maybe he dips down for the last two years. But any contract is like that, especially a guy who signs it around 25, 26, 27 and signs a seven- or eight-year deal. You you know the first half of that deal is going to be really great, and potentially the, the back half of that is it is what it is. But I think in Lindholm's case, you can argue that he could still be good at the end of that contract, the way he plays, right? Like his skating is good, but it's not, you know, Drysdale level of skating where, you know, he relies heavily on that. Again, it's like Getzlaff. He's aged grace, gracefully in the sense he's never relied on his skating. It hasn't been a big part of his game. Everything that has been the key to Ryan Getzlaff's success translates through, you know, the older he gets, it doesn't really deteriorate. Transcends right? age. Yeah. So eventually, again, he's lost steps for sure. But look at the way he's played this year. I think Lindholm could be the same on the blue line. And, and you still need veteran guys on this team that have been around for a while. And I don't think Fowler can be the only guy on the blue line. I, I think having Lindholm around is is important. So he'd be a guy that I would look at at bringing back. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great, 
talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast indeed.com slash blue wire sports terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed. And I think you get a lot more callers for a Manson type. You know, that's that's what they're looking for. Someone who can help during the playoffs and be kind of that rugged defenseman. Yeah. So I think I think you get a lot more. It's not going to cost you as much as Lindholm would either, right? So the risk, yeah, the risk isn't as high. Yeah. And, and elite top six forward Joshua David Manson. Thank you very much. <laughs> the goals. Yeah. yeah. As long as he's shooting it off the uh, the opposition team, it's, he's got a good chance to get a few more. So. Um, 11th on the team and expected offense. Thank you very much. How much is that is playing with Cam Fowler? <laughs> um, I don't know. Let, Cam Fowler's only a couple I'll ahead let, of him. I'll let so. you have this one. Um, a guy I want to talk about is Jamie Drysdale, if we're going to talk about defensemen. Because I mentioned this on, um, I think, a week ago yes. on Ducks Morning Brew. Um, I just feel like he's not getting enough credit which we're used to um, for Ducks young players and, and Ducks players in general around the league. But, you know, Trey Terry kind of demanded. Yeah, let's bang that drum. Let's go <laughs> right into it. Dude. Yeah, Just right into to, nobody man. takes them. Let's Trey do it. Terry demanded <laughs> attention, obviously, with the point streak and, and the fact that he sat top five in scoring. Trevor Zegers with his play and obviously everything leading up to Pedigree. joining the Ducks is, you know, generated notoriety. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jamie Drysdale, I feel like, hasn't given given enough credit for the fact that he still is the youngest defenseman in the league. Uh, there's only four defensemen under 21 who've played 10-plus games. It's Moritz Sider, Tobias Bjornfot, Bowen Bo Byram, and uh, Jamie Drysdale have played 10-plus games under 20, under 21, and Drysdale's only one of them that's 19. And his numbers are right in the same kind of area as them. You know, Sider's been getting a lot of talk because he's playing in Detroit, and Bowen Byram, of course, High pick, been playing one of the best teams in the league, so he's getting a lot of talk. But I feel like Jamie Drysdale being a year younger than these guys, playing just at the same level, if not better in some cases, doesn't get enough credit for what he's doing, right? And and we've, we've actually seen the opposite, though. I've seen people mention that he's been getting thrown to the wolves and, you know, they're going to pull a Rasmus Ristolainen and they're, they're you know, they're going to just basically blow up his development before he gets there. But, like, he's playing just as good as these guys. You know, the, the points are close. Sider has 17 and 25. Byram has 9 and 13. Drysdale is 13 and 25. So he's right around that. And he's averaging just around the same minutes, around 20 minutes a game. Only Sider averages more at 22. And when you look at Corsi 4 and expected goals, he's, you know, above Sider in both. And he's above 50% in expected goals for and just right around 50% in Corsi for. And, you know, Byron's numbers are way higher, but he's also playing for a lot better team when it comes to, to puck possession in, in the avalanche and being sheltered a little bit more than uh, Jamie Dreisel is. Like, it, Zegers gets a lot of attention for sure, the way he plays, the flashiness. But I feel like Jamie Drysdale should be right in that discussion with some of the top youngsters and the top young defensemen in the league. And he kind of just gets thrown under the radar a little bit. Yeah, it's surprising too because he, he has been the goals he scored have have been pretty clutch. You know, you think of the overtime goal against uh, Calgary and then the one uh, against Vegas that kind of really helped. You know, get us you know past Vegas on that one. So like when he does score, he seems to be kind of big uh, big moment goal scorer, which is awesome. And then you know all the other parts that you know 
he he's got he's got to go through the learning process a little bit on that as well. But I think he's done a very good job. He's still you know kind of slight in frame, so sometimes he gets a little out muscled. But you know you you'll take that for all right. Well, on the other side of that, he could score goals at least. So, you know, he wants to get better from what uh, Aikens has been saying every time he does, uh, you know, an interview is just, you know, it's between him and uh, Z, they just want to try and get better. And they get frustrated, he even gets frustrated, uh, Drysdale does, when, you know, uh, the other, the opponent just made a hell of a play. And he, but he's frustrated how he could have done better. So if you have that attitude moving forward, too, I think that's only going to, elevate his game even more and then they maybe notice it a little bit more but you know as far as not getting enough credit i think you know in this league you got to be flashy uh on defense a little bit you got to put up big offensive numbers and you can't be in a place called anaheim otherwise you're never going to get yeah that that second one (laughs) because like detroit's just as bad if not worse than what anaheim was expected to be this year um but Cider, again, 17 points in 25 games for a rookie defenseman is great. It, it, it's not bad at all. But, again, Drysdale's four points behind that. He's right off the pace from what Cider's put up. But all the talk about young defensemen in the league this year and, and caller candidates for defensemen are about Moore Cider and Bowen Byram. And for good reason, they should be in that discussion. But I think if you're going to mention them, you have to mention Jamie Drysdale. And, and, and maybe he's more of a defenseman that, you like us, you have to watch the Ducks games full all the way through to really see his impact. But, like, the, the skating ability he has, some of the plays defensively he's made just because of his speed. We know that play in overtime that, that led to the Trevor Zegers OT winner against the Caps where he made a, a great back check. You know, had a rush up the ice, comes back, wins the puck and then gets it back up to uh, to Zegers, who ends up scoring the winning goal. Like Those are the types of plays that Drysdale makes on a, a nightly basis. You look at his goal the other night, too. Uh, you know, he was behind the play, and he gets all the way up the ice to be open on the other side to, to put it right into an empty net. Like These are plays he's making on a nightly basis because of his, his skill and his speed, and it's not something that you know gets on the highlight reel the next day. Right? It's not flashy. He's not dangling anybody. You know, He's not... you know bombing a one-timer from the point he's just doing a lot of good things but they're not as visible unless you're watching the full 60 minutes so i think you know and then again playing in anaheim as well does hurt him a little bit but you know again he's like he's 19 like that's the thing everybody always mentions this for good reason like he's a full year younger than two of these guys that we're talking about here so he could be in a better spot than them they are now next year when he's 20 right so he he's it's unbelievable that he's playing the way he is and and you know he he's such an important part of this team already. Because um, you know, normally, if things hadn't gone normal in his development and COVID hadn't shut down the OHL season, he'd probably this would probably be his rookie season. He wouldn't have even played in the NHL last year, and he still might be in Erie this year if that was the case. And and they had a season, so it's just unbelievable he's doing what he's doing anyway, uh, despite uh, you know not getting enough recognition that he probably deserves. Well, I think part of it too for me, right? Like with Jamie Drysdale specifically, is that it just feels, I don't know. It, it So, like, I think sometimes with advanced stats, like, we can kind of lose sight of the bigger picture because, like, the thing that annoyed me about some of the conversation going into this year is, like, Jamie Drysdale's, like, war stats, like, looked awful. You know what I mean? Like, I think it was uh, Jay Fresh who had – you know, like his, two percent his game, yeah. his player card from last year. He's like a zero percent war player. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, but he was 18 playing 24 games for one of the worst teams in the league, like the second worst team in the league. Like, I don't know 
what his numbers are supposed to look like. And if you watch the games last year, you can go, yeah, there are times where he is clearly not adapted to the speed and skill of the NHL game. As an 18-year-old dude who wasn't supposed to be here, I'm not that worried about that, right? We talked about it a lot last season. You can see the way he's leveraging his strengths to try to either overcome or um, make up for his deficiencies, right? Like Jay said, he does get pushed around a little bit. Well, one of the things I've noticed watching him this year is he's engaged physically more. Like, he's not going to be a guy like Manson that's going in and throwing his body around, and you don't want him to be that guy. But, like, he has been very aggressive trying to stay on guys' hips in the corners and, you know, giving them those little those little half checks, like cross checks, to be like, no, 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 I'm right here. Like, I can see you, and I can skate with you. And, you know, his play is just smart. Like, his skating just allows him to be so much better than his experience level at this point. And so, you know, I, I just think he kind of came into this season just kind of behind the eight ball a little bit because, like, some of his underlying stats were terrible. But, like, again, 18-year-old defenseman playing the first 24 games of his career for the second-worst team in the league, the worst team of which is a historically awful run franchise who just watched their heart candidate leave. Like, you know, I just think with him that there is just somewhat of a predisposition um, to him not getting the appreciation that he kind of deserves this season. And then to whatever extent, he's also getting kind of just noticeably outshined by Milano and Terry and Zegris and, you know, the Gibson and Getzloff resurgence. Like there are plenty of reasons to look around and be like, yeah, he's not the number one story in Anaheim. But to your point, when you look at who he's in the company of like, yeah, man, like he's playing really well for one of four dudes under that age, you know? And like, I like Bjornfoot. Like, I think he's probably going to be a very good player, but you know, he's still got a lot to go. And so does Jamie Drysdale. And like, you know, Jamie Drysdale's kind of been a better player for them this year than Bjornfoot's been for LA, you know, and Cider's playing on the Detroit team that has literally nobody. And Owen Byron plays for, you know, one of the two or three best rosters in hockey. So, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where, like, I'm kind of fine with it being Anaheim's axe to grind as far as him getting ignored. But, like, it's definitely a real thing. And so it's it's nice to see him kind of continue to progress. Look at him next year, too, when he's the same age as these kids and what he's doing at that point. And another year of development, you know, probably 70-plus games this year (laughs) for the Ducks under his belt a lot more pro experience than he had last year. Like, it's just going to continue to get better from here. So the, the fact he's playing the way he is now, like, it, it's scary to think, like, what type of defenseman he's going to be at 22, 23, when he's, you know, been around the league for 150-plus games and he's put on some more size and he's got some more experience under his belt and he knows how to play. Like, it, he's he's going to be an unbelievable defenseman for this team and in the league. He'll be one of arguably the top defensemen in the league, the way he's, you know, projecting at this point you know a guy who can put up 40 to 50 points and and be in that Norris discussion like he is trending to be one of those guys and you look at the top young defensemen either in the league now or in and around being in the you know in NHL lineups he is one of the best and and you know it's 
eventually he'll demand the respect that he deserves. I think just when the Ducks get better and they get some more eyes on them and and he's playing in a better team, then I think we'll get there at some point. But, I mean, the the way he's been playing, he should be one of the storylines, but it's hard not to get buried behind, you know, Troy Terry putting up a 16-game point streak and Getzlaff coming back and playing like he's 25 and Trevor Zegras and, you know, Milano and everybody, right? It's really hard to to stick out, especially as a defenseman, among some of those other storylines. Yeah, I mean, if your if your major deficiency or the area you need to improve on is just the, your physical size as a 19 year old in the NHL, <laughs> then, then you don't have a whole yep. lot of problems. And you know, his, his skating ability and everything else is is on you know above par for you know most defensemen. Anyways, that's only going to get better. The size things is just going to happen. It's just going to take a little bit of time, uh, but I don't think it'll take a whole lot of time. And in the meantime, he's got all the talent and ability in the world to, to hang in this league and, and play on, you know, the, the top, top pairing. So. Yeah. I mean, you, you can see why in his draft year, he was really one of the, one of the few guys who projected to be, uh, number one defenseman caliber, right? Like in his draft year, there were a number of other defensemen, Sanderson and Schneider and, you know, players that bring different types of things to the table. But like the degree to which his offensive game and the floor for his offensive game is so high that to already see him making notable improvements defensively, like you get why he was the one that they're like, if there's like a number one defenseman in this draft, it's him, you know, and like, obviously that could all change as everything happens and, you know, whatever. But like, you can just look at him and it's nice. Like you can look at him and Zagris and go like, yeah, no, these are the two guys that Anaheim's historically been missing. And you can, cool. It's going to be fun. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. And and I think like when you look at the draft too, like not to say that, um, you know, Alexander Holtz, some of the other guys that we were looking at aren't going to be good players at some point, but it quickly shows you that, you know, maybe that was the right decision at that pick because, you know, Lafreniere has been good for the Rangers, but he, you know, again, the Ducks wouldn't have been able to get him anyway, but he hasn't been a number one pick caliber. Byfield's been hurt. Stutzel has been pretty good for Ottawa. Lucas Raymond obviously has been excellent this year. Uh, and then Sanderson we haven't seen yet. But then below Drysdale, you know, Alexander Holtz played a handful of games for the Devils. Has looked okay. Jack Quinn's playing in the American Hockey League. Rossi's playing in the American Hockey League. Perfetti's playing in the AHL. And, and then Lindell is up with the, the Panthers this year. And Jarvis is up with the Hurricanes. But I think, like, at six, like, Drysdale right now looks like the clear best player from anybody that was picked below him. And obviously time will tell, but... You know, I, I think now it, it was a safe pick and a good option for the Ducks because they needed a young stud defenseman at the blue line. They didn't have one. They've got a lot of good young players down there, even you know before they brought in guys like Zellweger last year. But they needed this guy, and you know whether it was going to be, I think it was you know a foregone conclusion it was either going to be Sanderson or Drysdale, whoever was available at that pick. And you know, luckily for us, it ends up being Jamie Drysdale. But uh, you know, there's no question going back and looking at that draft and. And you can't you can't really argue with the fact the Ducks made the right selection at that point. They've got a lot of good young wingers coming up to play with Trevor Zegers, but they really needed this young defenseman to take them forward. And he's mm-hmm. you know, he's proven everybody. If anybody doubted him at six, he's proven them all wrong at this point. All right. Um, okay, so we got a couple things left. We want to talk about Jake DeBrusque. 
and he's asked for a trade out of Boston and what the Ducks could get for him. And then we have a few updates on some of the Ducks' prospects. But let's yeah, let's dive into Jake DeBrusque. He's asked for a trade out of the Boston Bruins. A pretty good young winger. I think he's 24, 25, former first-round pick. I think 16th overall in 2014, I believe. Good first three seasons in the NHL with Boston. You know, projected 20-goal, 45-point guy. And then last year lost his spot to Taylor Hall. Lost ice time, production went down, finishing went down. Same thing this year. Even I mentioned you guys before the show, even with Marchand out in their last game, he was playing fourth line on the Bruins, which is, I, I, I don't know if it's a result of him asking for a trade or what, but uh, you know, a really interesting option for the Ducks to potentially go after. Darren Dragon mentioned there was about 12 teams, if not more, interested in the guy, so a lot of competition there. But what do you guys think of Jake DeBrus? Not a guy I've watched a ton of, admittedly. Like I've seen highlights of him, and I've, you know, obviously when Boston comes into town and we, we play the Bruins, you get a, a glimpse of him here or there. But could be one of those pieces that, you know, again, in like Sonny Milano, you go out and get a former first-round pick, and he just fits well when you give him the ice time he deserves and could uh, could be a real good option for Anaheim. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I mean, his name has kind of come up a little bit. Like, his his name came up last year right around the same time that they were looking at, uh, you know, Vertanen up in, in, in Vancouver as far as trying to find maybe – devalued and, and underappreciated or underutilized uh you know forwards and the Vertanen thing is a whole other fucking ball of worms but as far as Jake DeBrus concerned like you get what about his game is exciting you know what I mean like Cam Neely like pushed him in front of the fucking bus the other day but like one of the things that he made a comment about he's like this kid's fast like his speed and his foot speed is really what makes him dangerous and then that allows him to kind of be effective. And like, if you're Anaheim and you're looking at this team and the way that they've adapted an up-tempo kind of game and a rush-heavy game, like, I don't know why you're not picking up the phone right now to see. I mean, the proof of concept as far as his potential is there. Like you said, he's had three good seasons. I think he put up like, like a like a twenty-something goal, goal season, forty-three-point year in like twenty eighteen, nineteen. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, you know, like, there's enough there that, like, if, you know, if I'm just following, I'm calling and asking. And, like, look, like, I think, you know, the deal that makes the most sense is some version of a swap of him and Raquel. Uh, you know, Raquel gives them the kind of top six goal scoring forward that they're looking for. You know, I think if you have Raquel and Taylor Hall on the wings of a line, even if that center is, you know, Charlie Coyle, who's good but not great, like, you're, you're doing okay. Um, you know, having Jake DeBrusque on the fourth line, especially with guys like Lazar, is kind of a waste. So, you know, I think if you're Anaheim, I think you got to make that call. I don't know, you know, how how hard they're going to stick to whatever line they have as far as, like, former first-round pick who's put up 20 goals or whatever, all that crap. But, like, he seems like a player that Anaheim should be decidedly uh, interested in bringing into Anaheim just based on his timeline, his skill set, his position, you know, uh, it's, it's very intriguing because again, like we said earlier, as much as there are those young offensive winger and forward prospects to be excited about, like, you know, we've all seen it happen a thousand times. Like sometimes there just something happens between there and the NHL where some of these guys don't hit and you don't want to, you know, count your chickens before you roost. If you have a chance to bring in another guy that could help either, 
supplement that or prevent any noticeable decline if one or two of those guys doesn't hit. So I think you have to do it. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, with uh, DeBrusque asking for a trade, too, that also puts Boston in the position or at a slight disadvantage. The teams that are calling know that, hey, you're not really playing this guy. He doesn't want to play for you. Um, you know, he's a restricted free agent at the end of this year. So you, if there's a whole lot of lose it or, you know, move it uh, type of deal thing. So they um, that, that bodes well. And I think Steven's right. You know, Raquel just makes the most sense because uh, Boston is, has not been great out of the gate. And uh, their window is is shrinking pretty quickly here and there. Their cap uh, hell coming up is going to be pretty hard. So it's like, hey, if we can get another kick at a can by having Raquel for this season, if it, even if we don't resign him, you know, he's going to produce more than DeBrusque is. And we probably were going to have a hard time, you know, trying to move him, you know, later anyways. So that kind of helps the Ducks in a situation, helps Boston. They have a trade history. You know, Richie and Kasha are the most recent ones. They didn't pan out too well, but um, I knew that was going to happen. They, uh, you know, but, you know, with Raquel, I mean, at least it gives them that shot in the arm and hopefully, you know, re, you know, kickstarts their season because uh, they, they keep trending downward. They're going to have a, a hell of a time in that division trying yeah, to, and, to get back Raquel to Raquel would slot in with Taylor Hall and Charlie Coyle, and that's a nice line, I think, for him to slot in at the way Boston plays, too, and you think he goes on potentially um you know probably power play two uh, with their unit there but i think it's a good spot for raquel to slot into and on the anaheim side of things i think if you're looking at potential return for any of the guys we move at the deadline right i i don't want i don't think we're beyond first round picks but these would be the type of guys you'd want to bring in right is the the team has shown progress this year that they're moving in the right direction they're better than we thought they would be so let's bring in a 24-year-old, 25-year-old young player that you can inject into this lineup that's going to make a difference right away instead of a first-round pick that is three years down the road. That might be past the, the point where you really need an impact player. And you, it's a, it's a risk taking on DeBrusque because you know whether he can get back to that level is, is questionable. But it's a risk taking a first-round pick that they could even make it to that point, right? There's, there's plenty of, of risk outside the top 10 that you could argue anything from 11 down to 40 is is equal value at the draft. So I, I think if Anaheim was going to bring in anybody or any type of asset, I think these should be the deals that they're looking at. I think, Stephen, along your point earlier in, you know, not show, you know, showing faith in this team, and if you're going to move Raquel, you know, having a, a piece like DeBrusque come in to offset that, it, it's close to equal value there and what you're going to get from mm-hmm. him. He's a guy who can slot right into your top six, I think, for DeBrusque, that would be the best situation for him to literally just come in and immediately replace Ricard Raquel and get, you know, 15, 16, 17 minutes a night. I think, you know, if you're trading him, that's what you want to do with him is give him the opportunity to succeed right off the bat. Mm-hmm. The Ducks have, you know, the ability to do that this year, and he's a restricted free agent at the end of the year, so you can make a decision on him at that point. You don't even have to stick with him. I mean, if you wanted to flip him again, you have that that ability. If he just does isn't a fit for your roster, so it is a deal that I think makes sense for both teams. And when you look at what we chatted about, uh, you know, earlier in the show, and and what happens when Terry stops scoring and Raquel stops scoring, who's gonna you know put pucks in the back of the net for this team on a consistent basis? Well, Dubrask has proven he's a shot first winger. He's a goal scorer. That's what he was drafted to be. That's what he's been when he's been at his best for the Bruins. The Ducks can use another player like that who is a shot for us, especially if you're going to lose Raquel. And I think bringing him in to do that, that helps mitigate the loss a little bit. So there's going to be a lot of teams interested in Jake Debrask, as there should be. Um, 
And I think, you know, with his dip in play, unlike Raquel, when he had back-to-back 30-game seasons, it was hard to to really describe why. Like, the Ducks got worse, so you could argue that. But at least with DeBrusque, you could say, okay, well, Taylor Hall came in and took a spot, right? Like, it's not like he fell off a wagon and, mm-hmm. and you know, he had that, those positions and he played his way out of them. Taylor Hall came in and took a spot and, you know, his ice time went down. His first power play spot went down. You can You can see why the production fell off. So it's a safer bet to bring him in and give him those opportunities back that he's going to get back to that same level. And it would be wonderful to move out Raquel, who's on a 20, 30 goal pace to bring in another guy who's a proven 20 goal scorer. And and that's, you know, three or four years younger. I think that that's the move the Ducks should be trying to make at this point. Yeah. And, and also, you know, if you resign him, you're going to be resigning him for less than what Raquel made. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at that point, even if you're not, not hundred percent sold on them after having them on the team for the season, you can even do a bridge deal, which isn't a whole lot of money and you get a couple more years out of it, hopefully at a lower rate. And then, you know, or if you like what you see and you try and lock them up long-term, but in any case you, you maybe lock them up, you know, for four years or something like that, where a window starts to kind of really be there. And, mm-hmm. you know, and he's kind of that that wave where Zegris and all the other young guys are about four or five years, be, you know, behind him. He starts to kind of fill in that quote unquote, veteran role at that point in which you always kind of need those guys. But I think his style fits really well. Like you said, Ed, it wasn't because he all of a sudden just fell off. He just they just have two incredibly good left wingers. Um, that took, yeah, took the spot. So, I mean, there's there's not much he could have done. And I think he even tried to make it work. Like, a, he kind of privately asked to be traded in the offseason. Boston kind of kicked the tires, but didn't really see anything they liked. So they agreed, all right, well, we'll just kind of start this season and see how it goes. And he gave it, you know, he did it for a while, but he was, you know, team wasn't winning, not scoring. Hall hasn't done all that amazing. you think maybe you try and plug him in there if you could, and they just never gave him that opportunity. So he got frustrated. It's like, all right. I'm done. I, I'm, I'm over it. You guys aren't using me, and I'm not going to really crack between those top two if, if I haven't done it already. Yeah, and I think just some of the reports about kind of the way that he's handled it in Boston, I think is, for me, very encouraging, right? Because, like, you know, they had the Taylor Hall press conference, and Taylor Hall was like, yeah, man, like, he came in and talked to us this morning, and he he said, you know, I love you guys, but this is just something I got to do for my career. And Taylor Hall was like, you know, we all get that. Like, we appreciate it's not a distraction. He came up, he talked to us, he owned it, and he goes, you know, and while he's here, we expect him to compete every night. And, you know, we know he will. Like, we're not worried about that part of it, but he knows that there are expectations while he's on this team, and he's going to have to, you know, still operate with that in mind. And, like, all, all of that to me, you're just like, one, damn, Taylor Hall's really cool. Uh, but two, it's just like, Jake DeBrus seems like he gets it. Like, it doesn't seem like he's someone who's like, you know, throwing a fucking fit because, you know, they changed the fucking catch-up or whatever in the uh, in the break room. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like he's no like, idea no, he gets it. Like, he, you know, know, it's I one know. of the more friendlier <laughs> yeah. trade requests and situations we've seen in the last few years. Well, it's just, it's could, it could have been an ideal situation, you know? It's thoughtful <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's professional, right? It's just like, I get what this is. But, like, this isn't where I need to be right now. This just isn't working. Yeah. You know? I see myself as a top two winger. And <laughs> yeah. there is nothing. You know, but that's where I my expectation yeah. is I think to Anaheim's be. And I think Anaheim's a perfect too, right? Like, in, right. in the sense that, um, you know, they ha- Sonny Milano's worked really well on the left wing. And it, it's been great for him. But he's a guy who can also move to the right side. And I don't think Adam Henrique has to play, you know, left wing. If the – if 
You yeah, could have just true. stopped it. Has to play. I mean, the, the ideal situation <laughs> would be also to move him, but you could. Yeah, Debrusque has a nice place to slot in on the left in Anaheim, especially with Maxime Comtois and Max Jones out this year. Even if Absolutely. it is just an audition for him as an, a restricted free agent to just show what he can do, it's a really great spot for him to go and just prove himself with a good young team playing with potentially with somebody like Getzlaff and Terry on that line or playing with Zegers and Milano on that line. Like it would be a spot that I'm sure if you asked him and, and he could be completely honest about it, I'm sure it would be a great spot that he would love to come and, and slot into that lineup. Um, you know, I, I, we talk about trades like this all the time. It, it would be, we'd love for it to happen. It's one of those that just makes too much sense for it not to happen. Then it never does. Right. <laughs> like, and I think the ducks could get more too. Yeah. Right? Jake DeBrusque, Still has a lot of value for what he's done in the past. In in you know the short, it wasn't too long ago that he was was playing at a top level. But I think you could, if it was Raquel, you could get DeBrusque plus you know a third round pick or a second round pick or a B level prospect. You could get that pick. Bring Chris <laughs> Wagner home. Let's go. Oh, yeah. No, not I love a chance. Him, he's a Boston player. Do that. Yeah, but well, especially if, like buried him this year, which made me very sad. <laughs> But if Raquel keeps doing what he's doing, kind of a resurgence as yeah. well, his stock definitely goes up. And then, like you said, Ed, you could possibly get some something extra on the side there. You get both of what you want, right? Oh you, my get, God, you get the you, okay. young player you can slot right yeah. in, and you get a pick or a younger prospect that's a bit more of a, a project. Fabian Lysel, let's do it. I might have to send Manson at the same time in that deal. <laughs> Just kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> send, send Grant. They, dude, they can have both yeah. of them at 50% retain if they send back. I've, I've thought about like that, honestly, myself. for some of these teams like Toronto and Boston who are against the cap who need, like, a defenseman and a winger. If the Ducks, you know, this is like an NHL, EA Sports type of deal, but if they retained 50% on both Raquel and Manson and sent them to a competitive team and they could get, you know, a DeBrusque, Lysel, and a pick from Boston, like, it's a deal that would make sense for both teams. It's just not one that normally happens where you retain salary on two guys in, in a deal and send them out. But it, it, it is one that you, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing. I, I think Manson, I think Boston loves their players like Manson. He would be a great fit there as a second option yep. behind McAvoy. And Raquel obviously makes sense. We've already talked about him into that lineup. And for Boston, they're losing a player who asked for a trade. They're losing a prospect, which it doesn't matter for them because their window is now. And they lose a pick, which, again, same reason as the prospect. doesn't matter. And it's not their first-round pick. So even if they wanted to go out and use that first-round pick to add somewhere else and ship out some cap space at the same time, they still have the ability to do that. So, I mean, in, in theory, it's one that, that makes too much sense, which is why they always never happen the way we expect them <laughs> to do. Which will so. never happen, yeah. <laughs> all right folks you heard it here first eddie has said it's official we are trading joshua david manson and ricard raquel for mitch marner and, and uh the glory days right. are now. well there's a couple other things i want to t- chat about just real quick or just mention um mason mctavish has been really good and since getting sent back to peterborough he's got five goals in his first three games had a hat trick in game one He's got 22 shots on goal in those three games, and he's 68% on the faceoff dot since returning. So great to see him doing well. He uh, and Owen Zell- Olin Zellweger, who just put up six points in a game uh, a couple nights ago, were named to Canada's Team uh, t- Team Canada's Selection Camp roster for the World Junior Championship. And Sasha Pastuov and Ian Moore were named to Team USA's preliminary roster for the World Junior Championship. So the Ducks could have four players between Canada and the U.S. at the tournament. Uh, I'm not sure if they would have anybody else. I think it would just be those four potentially who would be there. But Jacob Perot was the surprise one who wasn't named to either roster. He was eligible for both. Um, I think it's because the Ducks just 
didn't want to loan him because of the, it would be, I think they have plans for him later on in the year, and also it would be a tough loss for San Diego to lose him at that point. But good to see those guys doing well. It'd be fun to watch another maybe candidate versus USA final, Pastua versus McTavish potentially this year, instead of Zegers versus Drysdale. Oh, man, that would rock, especially if uh... – Especially if it ends with uh, yeah. them right, playing right on the after same the team final for something McCabbis like that. gets traded to Guelph. <laughs> <laughs> they got to play together. Be like the Zegers guys to like, flight home. <laughs> flight home. Exactly. All right, let's get into our uh, predictions for this week. We got five yeah. games. It's five game road trip this week. Couple back to backs: Monday, Tuesday yeah. against Washington, Buffalo; Thursday against Columbus, and then Saturday, Sunday against Pittsburgh and St. Louis. Jay, you want to you want to start us off here? What do you think? Man, five yeah, two, games, two back to back seven days. That's crazy. A lot of, a lot of flying around. Um, I think uh, Getzloff mm-hmm. is is going with the team, so he's on the trip with him. Uh, he hasn't been put on IR, so it seems like they're just kind of waiting to see how the uh, the angle. Oh, sorry, to, think, literally the just immediately uh, right now, Getzloff was just placed on the IR. <laughs> so. Yeah. On the IR. Yeah. Like right now, I was just he really that he got placed on the IR. <laughs> 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 so, but that's retroactive too. So I think at some point it probably come back. Um, but I think so for that first game, Washington. I think that's going to be a hard, hard task uh, to start that game. Uh, we did beat Washington, so I think maybe they're a little bit more ready uh, to play. And you know, Ovi's just Ovi, um, so it's a factor. Yeah. He's probably going to score a goal. <laughs> or at least two. So uh, I feel we lose Washington. Um, we play the next night uh, in Buffalo. I, so. I think we can take Buffalo um, on that one. Columbus, they're struggling. Uh, their goaltender is injured. Um, so they still got some good goaltending, but they also don't have line A. Um, so I think we can win that one. Pittsburgh, usually when we go in and play in Pittsburgh, it doesn't usually go terribly well for us. Um, for some reason, for yeah. some reason, oh, it doesn't go well for Gibby. That's a souls <laughs> are in there. Then uh, we're we're maybe a little bit. I actually think we'll we'll beat Pittsburgh, and then I think uh, you know do a back to back and go to St. Louis, and we once again we beat St. Louis, but St. Louis is St. Louis, so I I feel like we probably lose that one. So I think we we lose the first and last, but everything See, in between is all good. Yeah, I mean Jay's got it at three and two. I think I'm a little bit more inclined to go with two and three. Um, I think, like he said, I think Washington's going to be tough. I think, you know, Buffalo is in a free fall right now, so I think that's a game that they should be able to walk in and take one. Columbus is kind of overperforming a little bit right now, but they're not in. I don't know. Like Columbus is, you know, they're they're. I had Columbus and the Ducks in the exact same neighborhood going into this season, which is they're going to be two of the five. So obviously, I don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> but. I still think, uh, I think that Buffalo and Columbus. I, I I get where Jay's saying that Pittsburgh hasn't been great, but at the end of the day, like it's still Pittsburgh. And I I think yeah, I think I would go loss, win, win, loss, loss. Like I just think it's two and three. I'm sure one of those goes to shootout. Um, you know, just by nature. Um, but I, I would expect to come out of this with you know five points at best. Yeah, I, I mean, I think those those games Saturday, Sunday are going to be tough, especially Sunday. Like it's a, like Jay said, it's a fifth game in, in seven days. It's going to be a real tired legs for that game, especially if Getzlaff and Henrique are out for the entire week. There's not going to be a lot of rest for some of these guys. Um, 
I think Buffalo and Columbus are, are wins, or they should be at least. I think they win the first three. I think Washington is going to be a tough game. It's tough to play in Washington, but I think they can come out with wins against Washington, Buffalo, Columbus. I think they make the pitch for a game tough and, and lose in either overtime or in a shootout, and I think that St. Louis game just gets away from them. I think they're just it's just going to be too hard to, to show up for that game with the way they've, they've had to play with five games on the road. I know they're not really long road trips to go from Ohio to Pennsylvania and then to, to Missouri. It's not really that far, but it's going to be tough. A lot of road travel on that, that game on the road. How would you know Saskatchewan? Yeah. How would How you many know? kilometers is that? Jesus. <laughs> Why'd we get yeah, come on, guys. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's not, I, I'm not wrong. It's not, it's not that far for travel. Yeah, uh, yeah they're not cross-checking back and forth, but it's, still, it's you, you play a game, you get on a plane, you fly, you land, you have to you go to the hotel then go go yeah. play get back on a plane what's the last the time we had a five-game road trip in a like, you know, entire week i think this is i don't really see this that often that's, dude that's <laughs> put that together this is so tough. bad yeah. i scrolled down earlier to look at it and i was like oh my god two back yeah, that's where the most games of anybody this week. the only team that plays five is a few teams that play four and then everybody else plays three but yeah that, that, that's a tough that's a tough one but oh, so, yeah man, i mean I, I think we we all agree they're going to at least get two wins. Like Buffalo and Columbus are games you have to win. And the way the Ducks have played this year, they've won all the games they should win. They beat Ottawa and all those types of teams. So Buffalo and Columbus, you should. As long as you play those games against Washington, Pittsburgh, and St. Louis close, then that would be uh, that would be pretty good. Mm-hmm. But that's going to do it, I think, for today. Uh, we'll be back. Well, I'll be back tomorrow morning with Ducks Morning Brew, and uh, we've got some Patreon shows planned. Uh, upcoming here that we have to get to and uh and then we'll be back next week with uh another weekly show yeah and uh we're looking to uh probably confirm here in the next day or two uh our watch party for uh december 12th uh which is sunday so that's that's coming up here pretty quick so uh but i just need to go ahead Hmm. and really quick confirm uh that we can uh, get the space for it and then we should be good and then uh, look look for that announcement to come what, what game was that for december 12th sweet i don't know either. I it's no coming up soon that'll be fun all right guys stay tuned thanks yeah. for coming out well i guess not coming out live but listen to the show after the fact and uh, we will see you next weekend take care guys <laughs>